You're listening to the Inside the Shoe podcast, presented by Land of Ten. I am the one who knocks. And now here's your host, Kyle Land. Good Wednesday, everybody. Welcome back to the Inside the Shoe podcast, presented by LandOfTen.com. I'm your host, Kyle Lamb. My cohort today, Ryan Ginn of Land of Ten, is with me to talk some Ohio State football. We'll also get into the the gambling situation, the you know Supreme Court ruling that state-sponsored uh, sports gambling is the law against it is unconstitutional. Therefore, states are free to go ahead and make gambling laws. We'll also get into a few Ohio State basketball items at the end of the uh, the podcast today. Ohio State schedule uh, news coming out yesterday. They will play Creighton in the Gabbitt games. We'll get into that. And also the basketball tournament has a new team, and we'll talk about that at the end of the show. Ryan, how are you doing today, buddy? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. As we sit here recording this, we've got tornado warnings in effect. The tornado sirens are blasting around our homes. We're hoping that this isn't a Dorothy situation where the Wicked Witch of the West... uh, plops or i guess a wicked witch of the east plops down on our front lawns i i can't remember it's been so long since i've seen wizard of oz it's one of those witches though the west i think is it the west the west was the was the bad one yeah i the the west was the, you're right the west was the bad one the the east was the good one i can't, i can't remember anyhow so let's uh let's get dive right into it you know first of all the obvious news urban meyer saying on tuesday what we all kind of knew that Dwayne Haskins would be getting the first crack at the starting position. I mean, obvious news, but, you know, Urban, although he did qualify it a little bit as of right now and saying first crack and didn't say necessarily start, that's kind of the coach-speak way of saying that, yes, Dwayne Haskins will be the starter for Ohio State in 2018, barring an injury or something other unforeseen events happening. Yeah, and, I mean, all of that is – I guess not really unexpected. It kind of unfolded the exact way you thought it would, where Urban is essentially forced to acknowledge what is obvious because it's not like he's going to say, yeah, you know, Tate, who's been here for one year and redshirted, is absolutely level with the guy who went out and beat Michigan and has gotten backup reps for a year and a half and et cetera, et cetera. So, but you also don't want to just hand it to him just yet. You know, you got to work for it a little bit. So uh, I thought. It was a really good summation of the situation, but I'm glad he said it and that someone recorded it so that we don't have to pretend in our stories and say anymore like the likely front runner, Dwayne Haskins or whatever. I mean, he just is, you know, it's his team now and that's that's how it's going to be this year. So I thought it was nice of Urban to help us out on that one. I've been sitting here trying to picture in my mind what to expect from Dwayne Haskins, because we we still have not seen a lot from him. We see flashes of his arm. I mean, when you see him throw the ball downfield, like that that pass, of course, in, in the Michigan game on third down to Austin Mack, that just, those are the kind of things you see, and you just, you, you're like, wow. You know, you, you can visualize little bits of Dwayne Haskins and seeing his star potential, but we just haven't seen it consistently yet. We don't know what he's capable of in a, an extensive starting role. And I, in my head, I still am not sure what to really expect from him. What about you? Yeah, I sort of feel the same. And I, I think, it, at least right away, it definitely won't be what everyone who's like over the moon about this thinks it could be. It, he's going to be a first-time starter, and there will probably be some struggles. There, 
you know, going to have a few new starters on the offensive line, and there's just a lot that's, you know, it's a new season. So I don't know if it'll be smooth right away, but I, I do think, you know, we'll see that big arm, and I, I don't think he'll have any problem adjusting over the course of the season. I think everything will be fine. And I think it should be encouraging for Ohio State fans that he's been thrown into the fire before and and really delivered and played really well. I've been having this visualization in my head, and I've been thinking that Dwayne Haskins reminds me a lot of Ryan Leaf back in his Washington State days. Now, I know you may not have like vivid memories of Leaf because you're a little bit younger, um, so you, you probably don't remember him as well. But he, you know, he's this big arm guy, 6'5", 230 pounds, the number two overall pick in the NFL draft. And, and I don't want to compare Haskins to Leaf from a trajectory standpoint, what's going to happen in the NFL, because obviously Leaf had a lot of off-the-field issues. And I'm not trying to compare that element of Leaf to Haskins, but he was a big arm pocket passer and in the same way that Haskins was. And I've been watching a lot of video of Leaf like with that comparison in my mind, and there are some similarities there. And, and looking at Leaf's third and final year, he was at you know almost 4,000 yards passing with 34 touchdowns, 11 interceptions. He had 330 yards in the Rose Bowl against an undefeated Michigan team that year that had a really good pass defense. So Leaf is definitely a great player, and I think Haskins can be that kind of player for Ohio State this year if everything goes the way we think it can with his potential. Yeah, uh, well, first of all, I will say you're right that I, I mainly have, like, memories of memories of the mid to late 1990s. Like, that, that's really when it, it, you know, I started to become old enough to, to still remember this stuff to this day. So I, I more remember his early Chargers tenure than the Washington. I remember that he was really good at Washington State, and I remember being outraged when Peyton Manning didn't win the Heisman. <laughs> um, you know that '97 year. Yeah, there's Charles a lot of Ohio State fans that are that are nodding right now, listening to the podcast, saying, "Yeah, that's." Say, I'm betting I'm not the only person in that boat, albeit for different reasons. Um, <laughs> but I, I kind what what you describe, I can definitely see out of him, and I, I think. What's going to be interesting is how much they rely on the running backs and how much, you know, RPO and zone ready type stuff they do with Dwayne because I think he was only credited with three or four carries against Michigan, but there was definitely the option to do a lot more. They did a lot of stuff with him. They did with JT during that game. It's just that he more often than not gave it to the running backs. So, well, you had a uh, Ryan, you had a, you know, an interesting, you had a great article on Land of 10 talking about the running backs and how, uh, you know, how the success of them have kind of been a self self-fulfilling prophecy and of course they're loaded in the backfield this year. But Urban did say that because of Haskins' skill set, they are going to be forced to make drastic overhauls to the offense. In your mind, given what they have with the running backs this year and the receivers, but the ability of Haskins to pass, what what kind of changes would you visualize Urban and the staff making uh, with Haskins at quarterback? I think they'll get back to where they've been a little bit more in the, the, the run-pass balance where it's a little more run heavy especially you know running back wise I, w- I would expect to see that and then I would also say that I-, I think the way you can make it work is by turning play action into a weapon for you um and I, I think that's a situation where if the running backs are 
just you know hammering teams and Dwayne can hit the deep ball, then that can really change the shape of your offense. And then once that happens, they have to respect you know the deep passing game in general more. Um, so I, I I kind of expect to see a more legitimate you know power running and setting up the pass. Yeah, and so the receivers, at least on paper, the deepest Ohio State's probably ever had. Uh, the question, of course, becomes. Will somebody emerge as that go-to guy, whether it's a Michael Thomas, Michael Jenkins, a Terry Glenn, a David Boston? There's so many elite, upper-tier college football receivers that Ohio State has had, and right now that's probably the only thing lacking at the position. And we've talked in the past about uh, you know whether somebody will stand out, stand out this year, whether it's Austin Mack, K.J. Hill, Ben Victor, whatever. We've talked about whether one of those will stand out. But do you think that necessarily Haskins even needs that? To me, I'm kind of looking at this as a, uh, I don't want to say wide receivers by committee, but I think there's power in numbers. And I think Haskins can be really successful without one of those guys necessarily having to be a superstar. I agree with that. And at this point, I think the desire for a Devin Smith type player is a little bit overblown. Um, And I, 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 I think people are maybe like, I don't know, misremembering a little bit, but I, I don't think he has to have a number one go-to receiver or a, a deep threat. I guess you could say maybe like that Michael Thomas was actually the, the go-to receiver and then, you know, Devin Smith was a deep threat. But I, I don't necessarily think you need to have either one of those if you're that deep. Now, with that, they have to be deep. And because they're, they're all good, not because they're just similarly talented and you know above average um so well and and, you know there's a byproduct of that too because some of the inconsistency issues with jt barrett the last couple years there were some cases where uh some teams were willing to maybe give you some of the field that you wouldn't normally because they'll just say well you're probably not going to complete the pass consistently to kill us anyway so they're not worried about burning you deep and of course there's the other issue that you know JT Barrett wasn't completing a high percentage of those deep balls but now uh if Haskins is a- as accurate as we think he can be those short completions become more consistent teams have to honor that and then you start throwing the deep ball over top because they have to honor the short ball and i think some of these guys maybe were separation issues were a problem two years ago I, that probably won't be the case this year forcing teams to account for kj hill and and paris campbell and maybe even damari mccall will really help out guys like austin mack and and benjamin victor um and and probably a couple more that um you know just blanking off the top of my head i, I think it could be a really good receiving core this year I, even guys like jalen harris i think could have a little bit of a breakout year, but I, I fully expect Austin Mack to be an elite receiver, and I expect Paris Campbell to be a bigger weapon than ever. I expect KJ Hill. I think we saw what he could do whenever Paris was out for a couple games, effectively. Um, and so, yeah, there's just a lot to like about the receivers, and Haskins will have no shortage of weapons and no shortage of different styles and ways to deploy those weapons. I talked to Bill Bender about this yesterday. The The Big Ten East this year on paper is loaded. You've got potentially four teams in the top ten, and you've got a fifth, I think, in Maryland that I believe uh, the record may not show it because of how tough the Big Ten is, but I believe Maryland is a potential top 20, top 25 team this year. I, they were really talented last year and had so many injuries. I don't think people realize how talented they were. 
but they've got all three quarterbacks back this year. They were down to their fourth quarterback at the end of last year, and they've got a lot of young receivers, a lot of young backs, uh, some better Im- improved defensive players. But when you look at the Big Ten East now, you've got Ohio State, you've got Michigan, you've got Penn State, um, you've got Michigan State. How do you see this Big Ten playing out, especially in the East Division? This is very hard because I, I think Ohio State is going to be the best team in the Big Ten East. At the same time, I think it's fair to note that this is probably Harbaugh's best chance to make it not that way. Um that he's had so far just with we'll see what happens with Shea Patterson, but he, he at least is a tremendous talent who has a really high ceiling. He did not always display that at Ole Miss, but he, he has that ability and, and that, that matters to, to have a chance to be that good. Um, they return a boatload of starters. They could have seven or eight draft picks next year. So they're really good, but I'd still put them a hair behind, Ohio State, and it doesn't help them that they have to come to Ohio Stadium this year. Their schedule, their schedule really is brutal too. Uh, you, it's, that's and it's that's a tough, the, tough schedule. If they make the playoff, they will have earned it. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Nobody will be able to say anything about that. That's a, that's a, that's the thing for me. If you're a Michigan fan, it's like you got to be excited about the fact you've got an experienced, talented team. Like you said, they could have seven, eight, um, you know, maybe even nine draft picks this year. And but the problem is they're in the probably toughest division in college football. You've got to play three yep. other top ten teams, and you've got oh by the way two really tough crossover games from the West, and then Notre Dame and a decent Western Michigan team on top of that. Yeah, and then so that that's kind of how I feel there. As for Penn State, I am of the opinion that Joe Moorhead was the brains of the operation there, but. That doesn't mean that it can't continue um, with a new offensive coordinator. And I think James Franklin is very good at what you know he does overall in leading that program and, and recruiting. So it's not like they don't have talented players that the, the program's going to like turn into dust overnight or anything like that. I just it wouldn't surprise me to see them take a step back after losing a, a player the, the caliber of Saquon. And you know they also had you know, a couple of really dependable receivers that just walked out of the door and including the program all-time receptions leader. So, I mean, that that's a kind of a big deal too. Um, but I just, I, I think there's a chance that they're, they're worse offensively than they were last year. And, and, and that matters in a division like this where the margin for error is so thin. I agree. For Michigan, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to add, and I agree with you, but I, and, and to Penn State's credit, I will say this is, they're finally recruiting probably the, especially on the East Coast. I think this is the best they've recruited in 20 years. Uh, so yeah. they're, they're finally landing guys over there on the East Coast like they used to land. Yeah, this is the level they have to recruit at to stay with Ohio State and Michigan, and I think they're doing it, and that, that matters because for the longest time, the first year or two, James Franklin was recruiting off of promises and not his record. Um, and you didn't know which way it was going to go. And then he won. So, I mean, that, that, that for them is absolutely huge, uh, that he can, you know, recruit off of going to the Rose bowl and things like that. Now, um, as for Michigan state, uh, I am not a believer, uh, saddens me to say it. Not really. Um, (laughs) but I just, People are writing that Brian Lewerke is like the fifth best quarterback in the country, and I'm wondering if they meant division. Maybe I'm a biased idiot or whatever. I would rank – no, I seriously would probably put him as fourth or fifth in the Big Ten right now. 
Yeah, so I just I don't see it. I don't I know they return everyone, but and and I I'm not basing this solely off of the way Ohio State murdered them last year. I've seen them play throughout the season. I know their program and it just to me is they're they're still not at that level they were at their absolute you know, when, when they were in 2013-14, these teams don't quite feel that way. It felt a little bit like they faked their way into that record last year. I don't think the the 2016 season was a reflection. I don't think 3-9 and nine was a reflection of how good they were. I think that was misconstrued the other way. But I think they're somewhere in the middle. They feel to me like a like an eight-win team, you know, and, and that's just not enough in this division. Ryan Ginn joining me of, of Land of Ten. You can catch him on Twitter at RM Ginn. Catch me on Twitter at KYLAM, the number eight. We're talking Ohio State football. Uh, we've got a, some Ohio State basketball notes uh, we'll talk about here in just a second. Uh, before we get into that, uh, so Ryan, I want to talk real quick about this uh, this gambling uh, sports law, over the overturned federal law. It came back in 1992. A couple states had already had sports gambling laws in place and they were grandfathered in from this federal law but basically supreme court ruling that state sponsored the federal ban on state sponsored gambling uh, is unconstitutional and therefore it's kind of open season now for states to go ahead and you know start ramping up the sports gambling i personally don't think that this is going to make a big deal especially for college football i just don't think i don't think football is that vulnerable to point shaving it can happen especially if you get an influential player but i don't think it's it's something that's going to be widespread, and let's face it, gambling has always has been a huge part of our society for many years now, so I really don't believe this is going to change much. I'm curious your thoughts on it now that it is here and getting ready to uh, fire up, I guess, so to speak. I think it's less likely to, to incite point shaving because it'll be regulated and documented. and Less of a black market, yes. Yeah, if you were already doing it, you were doing it with bookies, you know, in the shadows and things like that, um, for the most part, I guess there are people stupid enough to do that and place their bets in a Las Vegas casino, but that would be insane. Uh, so I guess a much higher percentage of bets being tracked is a better thing for sports. I I think my biggest fear is that the idiot leagues are going to somehow ruin this um, by trying to take too big a cut and things like that and demand all these ridiculous restrictions and things like that. Just look at Europe and do that. It, it's not that hard. The only sport where it really happens regularly that has a problem with point shaving is is tennis, and that's because their their data system allows them to track thousands of matches. So there's just so many more matches that can be bet on and also, their technology in that sport is super sophisticated, so they're actually much more able to catch it. So, I, I just—it's not really a problem in soccer or in you know the the basketball leagues over there or things like that. I know it'd be harder in soccer to point shave, but um, yeah, I don't know. I just—I hope they don't ruin this. I, I know there's still a lot of people. I grew up in the South. I'm sure there are states that are still horrified by this. You know, Alabama still lives in the Dark Ages. I saw. Um, Gosh, Danny Sheridan had a hilarious interview about that recently. So I, I, I just hope the leagues and states don't blow this. Because, the, the NCAA is going to yeah. be forced to change their approach on this because they were refusing to put the NCAA tournament in Las Vegas because of the gambling factor. They threatened re- to remove all the tournaments from New Jersey because of the sports gambling factor. But now that it's legal everywhere and you're going to see a bunch of states fire up the sports gambling at, at casinos and such, the NCAA is pretty much going to have to drop this uh, ridiculous uh, 
protesting of of sports gambling in cities that have it because it's going to be all over the place within the next five years. Yeah, this is going to end up. I, I guess I hope as as sick as it will make me to see these hypocrites act this way. I guess it'll be better for everyone, just like it is for the playoff. Everyone who was opposed to this is going to see how much money's being made and and things like that, and is going to come out okay with it. And I I just think it you're there's no there's no negatives to this if it's implemented right because you're better able to track point shaving and things like that when you can use computer software and it's not being done you know in some accounting notebook by a bookie uh the same is true you're you're better able to regulate people who who have gambling problems and need help and to to bar them from you know taking part as as best you can at least more effectively than when it's all being done underground so I just, I think it's a great thing for the sport. Someone pointed out, it might have been Andy Staples, or one smart sports writer made the point that it it should, it, it's not going to be a lifesaver, but it should help with TV revenue and things like that, or, you know, internet streams, whatever, just overall revenue, because people who bet on sports are invested watchers. I know personally, uh, when I do DraftKings and things like that, I'm much more likely to watch a sport if I am have like a fantasy DraftKings team in it. That's the only or... reason I watch many NFL games on a Sunday anymore. I yeah. mean, I, honestly, I'm not invested in the NFL as a whole, but I'll watch Sunday games just because of my fantasy league. I watched a NASCAR race a couple weeks ago <laughs> just because I made a DraftKings team to see what it was like. And then all my people wrecked at the end, and I got really mad, so I'll probably never do that again. But I watched a NASCAR race because I, I theoretically, you know, I gambled on it using DraftKings. So. Hey, more power to you. I can't bring myself to, to watch a left-hand turn for three hours. I just can't do it. Um. My, my capacity to be entertained is, is truly should be studied. Um, but, yeah, I, I think this is going to be great for sports, hopefully. I, and, and people are going to fight it, but in the end, they're going to realize that it, it's right for a lot of different reasons. It's common sense. Everywhere else in the world does this. There's no reason why people should have to go to, you know, sports books overseas when they come here. It's just, it's absolutely ridiculous. Well, let's wrap things up here with the uh, Buckeye news du jour, the, a couple uh, basketball notes we've got to talk about. First, Ohio State basketball schedule has another game released. As we know, they will go to Creighton, and on, uh, I believe it's November 14th, they'll play the Blue Jays as part of the Gavit Games, which is the basically the Big Ten Big East Challenge. Uh, the, the top eight teams from the Big East will play the top eight teams from the Big Ten. Theoretically, this is not an exact science. But now we know Ohio State will play at Cincinnati, at Creighton. They'll play UCLA in December as part of the CBS Sports Classic. They'll also have a home game against Bucknell and then a home game, most likely a home game, in the Big Ten ACC Challenge. The Ohio State schedule is starting to shape up now. The Buckeyes have a very good schedule shaping up, although the only downside is it's not going to be a great schedule for home fans to go as far as ticket sales are concerned. But... As far as the team itself, a very young team is going to be tested, especially with the 20-game Big Ten schedule this year, Ryan. Yeah, I I like it. I think it's going to be pretty good. I think that's a solid opponent to get. I actually just like this series in general because I think it's a good chance at a quality game that's also winnable. Um, not, not that it's not in the ACC or whatever other conference you'd want to choose, but, you know, sometimes you just look at it and you just know – 
oh well we, we drew Duke again like sorry you know um, but I, I think it's great um, I also would say that I, I doubt anyone really travels for Ohio State basketball non-conference games but if that's an option for you I thought Omaha was an amazing city uh, I went last summer for the College World Series and then again um, I you know, got to see it a little bit when we went to the Nebraska game last year so um, it's a really cool city and it, it could be a fun trip if you're into that but yeah I, I think Creighton will be a cool matchup I, I like that it's on the road as a winnable game I think that should help out Ohio State and I think it's a good addition to the rest of the schedule I kind of like what Ohio State's got going this year it's certainly a little better than maybe some of the years past um, so it, it should be interesting for this group but the the more good opponents you have I, I i'm very pro having a watchable non-conference schedule even if it means one or two more losses i think that that's better for your team better for your rpi and better for your fan base and last note the basketball tournament will be back again this summer if you're not familiar with the basketball tournament you may remember it just as a basketball tournament in the middle of summer a lot of former <laughs> college players current pro players that are generally playing overseas and not playing in the nba you remember the Ohio State alumni team last year with Diebler and, and William Buford and Evan Ravenel and uh, Jared Sollinger. Uh, they apparently, uh, I had heard Scooney Penn say they were going to be back in the tournament, but I looked at the rosters and the teams listed on there, and right now that team is listed as ineligible. It does not look like they're playing. But we do know Andrew Dockich has said there will be a former Ohio State, there will be a team uh, made up of former Ohio State and former Michigan players playing together. I know, what is this world coming to? So far, uh, we know Andrew Dockett will be on that along with Cam Williams and Jay Sean Tate. It will also have Michigan's Duncan Robinson, John Horford, Stu Douglas, and Mark Donnell, uh, along with Illinois' Nana Egwu. Uh, Ryan, I think everybody's heads are exploding, Michigan fans, Ohio State fans. I don't know if anybody knows whether to root for this team or not. I thought about that this afternoon. It just hit me. I think Columbus has... They're going to like host some games in this area, right? This yes, year. they're hosting the regional. Yep. Yeah, so they announced that. It's going to be a really weird dynamic for fans who go to that. I, I think it's just much more likely that people will support the Scarlet and Gray team and just be like, oh, we'll see what happens with the other team or maybe just cheer for the Ohio State players or the Michigan fans cheer for the Michigan players. It's going to be a little weird. <laughs> um, but, like, I, I, you know, it's... That's just a weird situation. I don't know what to make of it, but it's not like they're going to be playing in front of the shot in front of 15,000 fans, so it doesn't really matter. And I think it's cool for them to get to experience it because I doubt there's enough leftover Ohio State players to form like a second Ohio State team, you know, and certainly not one that would be able to, to challenge in, in terms of talent. So. It made me think of the ESPN cur- commercial, without sports, this wouldn't be weird. Oh, that's a good one. I like that. <laughs> and that's that- going to be weird to watch, don't you think? Yeah, I wonder what color jerseys they'll wear. Yeah, they're just going to have to choose like black or something like that. Don't tell me they're <laughs> going to try to do something crazy like uh, like maize and, and scarlet or something. I mean, that's, I, that would, that's what I would be most opposed to. <laughs> just choose a neutral color. Yeah, exactly. Um, who knows which route they'll go. Well, anyway, that's going to wrap things up for the Inside the Shoe podcast today. Like I said, you can catch Ryan on Twitter at RMGen. Catch me on Twitter at KYLam, the number eight. Ryan, I appreciate you stopping by and uh, getting caught up again. We'll talk at you next week. All right. Sounds good. 
Ryan Gann, that does it for the Inside the Shoe podcast. I am Kyle Lamb. You can catch the show Monday through Friday starting at 10 a.m. on landof10.com, on the archives, Google Play, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Thanks for joining us this Wednesday. We'll be back at you on Thursday. Same bat time, same bat channel. Go Bucks.